Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. This is Monica, and I'm Brent, and um, we're here today to share our life verses with you. My life verse is uh, Psalm 23, and whenever Lynn approached us with this, um, this this verse just came to my uh, it was the first one that came to my mind, and uh, and I kind of stuck with it, and just it really stands out for me, and is a real uh, a real description for not only my life but my faith in Jesus Christ. So let me read that to you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, looking at that verse and how it compares with my life and why I think it's my life verse, um, it really it starts in the beginning of my childhood, and I was lucky enough to have two grandparents that were both uh, preachers and in the ministry. My grandmother and grandfather both were. And um, my grandmother had this verse hanging in her kitchen, and they also had it hanging in the sanctuary in their church. Um, And that was a consistent reminder to them um, of their faith and testimony. And then as growing up and everything, whenever I would go over there and stay with them, I remember asking about what that verse meant because I've always seen it. I've seen it in their church. I've seen it in their kitchen. And um, and they would explain it to me. They would read it to me and talk to me about it. And, and really that, that created a childlike faith for myself. And then as I, as I got older, um, my grandfather... You know, I'd spend a lot of time with him uh, fishing or whatever, and he would always bring that verse back up for me. And uh, he would testify uh, more and more and tell me about what this uh, verse and um, and it what it meant to them and how it gave a picture of um, who God was and what he did in their lives. Um, I was also a very uh, lucky child. Um, my parents and my family took me to church um, religiously every Sunday, every Wednesday. And, you know, even though I had all the support, um, I was raised the right way, I was, I had, I was in church and everything else, um, I still allowed, as I became older, I allowed my sin to control my life and my faith. Um, and I allowed it to control me to the point of losing all control of everything. I was in a very dark place, and then God spoke to me and showed me what the real meaning of grace and mercy were. He showed me that I didn't have to die in my life of sin, but I could have a new life in him through Jesus Christ. 
He showed me that no matter what my circumstances were or are, he always and will always be there for me. He prepared he prepared me not only to help myself but to help others through my circumstances. And today I, I serve a God that is very loving and a very sovereign God. And he and he has provided me with a chair to sit in his house and has turned my relationship with him into a communal relationship. Provided me with you guys in this place to worship and praise him. And given me a supportive community of faith and has surrounded me with the people longing for God, which has given me my encouragement and my strength in my own quest for the Lord. I definitely like the first service better. It was a lot smaller. So um, let's see here. Um, the, li- the life verse that I chose is Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. Um, and it says, Come to me, all you are we- weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I chose this as one of my favorite verses because um, I deal with anxiety, so being up here is very uncomfortable for me. I'm not a speaker, so... Um, but I like this verse because it says, you know, I think it's a daily thing for me because I worry, you know, even my friends, family can tell you I worry about everything from my health to my kids' health to just everything, you name it. But this verse shows that you can um, turn to him and he'll give you peace and comfort in any situation. Um, we live in a, you know, scary world. The news is scary. Everything's scary. And I think, you know, daily turn to him and he will give us comfort and give us rest. We have to trust in him. Um, and I think this, you know, tells, it's the invitation to follow him and trust in him with everything. And um, and just not be stuck in our heads, but to believe in him and what he's done for us. Um, and he will give us the rest that we all probably won't. And I think now I'm done. <laughs> Something that um, occurred whenever we were preparing uh, this that I thought was really neat, I wanted to share with you. Um, Whenever Lynn approached us, you know, I had this verse, like, clicked in my mind, and when, and I was holding on to it, and Monica and I really never communicated about what our life verse was going to be because she kept saying, well, I, I have a bunch of favorite vo- verses, and I don't know which one. So Lynn gave us an ultimatum email. It was like, give it to me now. And uh, so I had mine, and I called Monica. I was like, I need your verse. And uh, she, she texted me the verse, and I pulled it up and read it. And it was so ironic because if you look at our two verses, you know, even though we hadn't communicated, and they both talk about peace and rest. And I thought that was just so awesome that um, that he did that for us. Thank you. So you see what their verses are. The, uh, the idea behind this series is that um, we need to understand it's really important for us to have God's Word to guide our lives. And that's why I ask people on our leadership team. Uh, Brian is on our leadership team. He's uh, uh, one of our deacons and, uh, and also uh, on our finance uh, here. So uh, I'd ask um, um, each leadership leader and each staff person uh, to let me know what their, some of their favorite verses are. Uh, and also their spouse, and to come up and share them, then I'm going to kind of bring the message, uh, unless they want to do it on uh, on their week. 
And uh, you can tell I couldn't talk Monica into that today uh, on it. But anyway, there are, uh, there are verses you have before. So I want to do with Monica's to start with. And what I call Monica's was this, an invitation from Jesus, because that is uh, literally what he's given us. He gives us an invitation where he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and, uh, and I will give you rest. That's an invitation, a great invitation that he gives us. Uh, now, some of the words that he used there in the, in the regional uh, Greek manuscript, uh, that phrase for come uh, means it's in an imperative form. Uh, so it means that he is really uh, almost commanding us, saying, look, I, I want you to come. Uh, some, some verses that will help us understand more about how we get the rest that Monica's verse talks about, uh, the, the next two verses, verse 29 and 30, uh, tell us this. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What takes place in the chapter before we get to, to Monica's verses and then the two verses I just kind of added to hers, um, Jesus is talking uh, about the Pharisees, uh, and he is talking about how if we need to, if we want to come to him, we need to come humble like a little child. But the Pharisees didn't want to do that. So in, in verse 16 through 19, Jesus kind of compares the Pharisees to being like little kids out on the playground. And you know how you'll have group segment off and things like that. And you have this click and that click. And the Pharisees were like a click. And they were saying, well, we're, we're piping you. Jesus said, you're like a group of kids. And you say, well, we're piping. We're playing music. And you won't dance the way we want you to dance. Uh, and that's kind of the way Pharisees are. Uh, they've got these legalistic rules they're throwing out. They're piping to you. And if you don't dance to them, uh, they get upset with you. So that's what Jesus was saying about uh, the, the, the Pharisees. Uh, and, and then Jesus, right before Monica's verse, said this in verse 27, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Father chooses to reveal him. So you can kind of boil that down and, and say no one fully, fully, completely knows uh, the Son except the Father. And the verse of that is true, know the Father except the Son. And then he says, if you want to know the Father, you get to the Father through the Son. By, by the Son introducing you, you come in by faith through the Son. That's what gets you to the Father. He's talking about us knowing Him. And the word know doesn't mean head knowledge. It means an, an intimate relationship. It's what the word know that Jesus used there. So Jesus more or less talks about how to know him, and then he gives us an invitation in Monica's chosen verse to come to him and, and know him all, all the better. So I want you to notice three things in those verses that I've just brought up before you. First of all, there's an invitation to come and find rest. Jesus gives us an invitation to come to him and find rest. As I mentioned a moment ago, uh, in, in the word study, it's an imperative form. It's like a command. He's telling us to come to him, literally come beside of him. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The, the word for all, I, sometimes I joke uh, about that. Next slide, guys, with the word studies on it, please. But uh, uh, the, the word all, I, I'll joke about that sometimes, and I'll say, well, I did a word study on that. Guess what it means? It means what? Yeah, it means all. Uh, in every form of declension is really what it means. All, every, uh, and he says, and I like that because all includes me. You understand that? It includes you. So that's why I'll be thrilled that he says all here. And he says, 
Come to me all that are labor. You, you're feeling fatigued or you're heavy laden. And that word was used to even talk about uh, loading up a, a ship. Uh, or uh, or an animal or a vessel of some type to where it was overburdened. It's used, though, in the New Testament, even though it literally talked about loading a ship up, it's used in the New Testament to talk about people being overburdened with religious ceremony or religious works or and having spiritual anxiety because of it. You see, that's what the Pharisees wanted to do. The Pharisees wanted to load up heavy burdens upon people. And then they want to come up with all these extra rules and all these extra rules. And people were wearing themselves out trying to obey the rules of men. So Jesus says, if you'll come to me, if that's who you are, if you're that heavy laden, he said, I'm going to give you rest. I'm, I'm going to give you some refreshment. I, I'm going to cause all that burden uh, to stop, to come to an end. The, the Pharisees more or less said this. Pharisees in, in legalism today, religious legalism today says this. Do, 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 do. That's what they say. To be in a right relationship with God, they say you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this. But Jesus, on the other hand, still saying, do, Jesus has come. Instead of us trying to work our way to heaven, Jesus says, come and believe in me. Come and, and trust in me. Completely different mindset. And he gives us a promise that if we will come to him, that... He will give us rest. I want you to notice something. I told you a minute ago the word all bless me because it means everybody. But I want to back up on that just a little bit. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And I think what Jesus is telling us that is this. If you're at the point that you understand you can't do it, if you're at the point that you are worn out from trying to do, from trying to earn your place with God by a bunch of religious activity, Jesus is saying if you're worn out from that, you're at the point you need to be at because you're at the point that you understand you can't do it and what you need to do is trust in me. Does that make sense to you? See, here's the thought behind it. As long as you think you can do it, you're going to keep trying to do it, aren't you? As long as you think you can earn a right relationship with God through your own good works, through your own activity, you're going to keep trying to do the legalistic Pharisee type thing of doing, 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 doing. When you come to an end of yourself and you understand, hey, I can't do it, that's when you're at the point that you can answer that invitation that Jesus gives you. And he says, come to me. And when you quit trying to do and you come to me, he, he said, I'll give you that that rest. Pharisees and legalism still yet today in our day and time was renowned for trying to put more and more and more rules, more and more yokes upon people. Jesus said this about them in Matthew 23, verse 1 through 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the Pharisees and the scribes sit on Moses' seat. So he said, because of their position, he said, practice and observe whatever they tell you. But... He said, not what they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Do you get the image that Jesus has given to Pharisees or legalism, religious legalism? It's people coming up with a bunch of man-made rules, and they're stacking those rules more and more and more and more upon the shoulders of people, upon their lives, putting a heavy burden upon them, wearing them out. But the same one that's coming up with all those rules won't even do as much as take their finger and try and do anything about it. 
That's the picture that Jesus gives of a religious Pharisee. The ones that are saying, do, 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 do. And that's why Jesus says, come to me if you're heavy laden. Peter stood up and said this in Acts chapter 15. They were kind of having a debate about these new people coming to uh, God through Christ. And the Jews were trying to decide, well, do, do they need to come back and obey some of our rules and some of our law first? And Peter stood up and said, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He said, look, we couldn't do it. Our fathers couldn't do it. Why do we keep trying to put that load upon people? The truth of the matter is we can't do it. And because we cannot do it and could not ever do it by our goodness, by our own works, because we can't do it, Jesus came and he did it. He came and he went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. And he invites us with open arms for us to come to him, and he promises that when we come to him, when we trust in him, he will give us rest. Not something that you earn, he will give you rest. Monica's verses also, Jesus tells us not only to come to him, but he gives us an invitation to take his yoke upon us. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you. Interesting word that he uses for take because most of the time when you think of taking something, it means, all right, your load just got heavier. But the word that he uses here was also used to talk about a ship sailing away. When you weigh the anchor, when you pull the anchor in, you take the anchor in, that frees the ship to where it can sail. That's what the yoke of Jesus does for us. The yoke of Jesus is not a yoke of bondage. The yoke of Jesus is something that sets us free to follow him. It sets us free to have a relationship with him. When we take his yoke upon us, instead of it being extra burden that's placed upon us, it's something that sets us free. Like, like Like we've been released from an anchor that was holding us down. The anchor of our sin, the anchor of our guilt, the anchor of trying to do it ourselves by our own good works. He says, take his yoke, and his yoke is a different kind of of yoke. It's it's a yoke that we're yoked together with him. We, We come to him by faith, and he gives us rest. We come to him for salvation. The only way we receive salvation is through faith in Jesus. We come to him, and he gives us rest when we come to him for salvation. But... After we come to him for salvation, taking his yoke upon us and allowing him to guide our lives and direct our lives, that's how we find a deeper level of rest. He gives you rest when you trust in him, but as you follow him, as you allow him to guide you, the the freedom of God guiding your life, the freedom of Christ guiding your life, the freedom of, of the yoke that he places upon you allows you to experience a deeper level of rest than, than just knowing that you're saved. Because you have the rest of knowing that he's there to guide you, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he's caring for you, knowing that, that he's the one that, that's controlling the, the yoke, controlling the direction of your life. There's a story that's been passed down through tradition. Now, I want to point out this through tradition, and it's not in the Bible. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus uh, grew up in a carpenter shop because Joseph was a carpenter. 
And, and this next statement I'm about to make is not in the Bible. We know that he did grow up around carpentry, that he himself also was a carpenter. But there's a story from tradition that's passed down that says that on the outside of Joseph's carpenter shop, the one that Jesus worked in, there's a sign that said, My yokes fit best. I like to think that's true because his yoke does fit best. The yoke of legalism will wear you out. And it's uncomfortable and, and it will <laughs> irritate you around the edges. It doesn't fit very well. But the yoke that Jesus wants to place upon our lives, it is a yoke that fits. It's a yoke that brings freedom to our lives. Jesus gives an invitation to come to him, and he says, I will give you rest. He gives us an invitation to take his yoke upon us, and, and we'll find a deeper level of rest as we allow him to guide us. But he also gives us an invitation to learn. He said, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my, my burden is, is light. Jesus wants us to come to him by faith, but he, he doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us to learn from him. He wants us to discover some things from him. He wants us to learn some things literally off. The word that's used there means literally off or from something that's near. You, you've trusted in Jesus as Savior, so now he's in your heart, he's near. You need to learn from him. Learn from him as you live your life. He goes on and he says, for, because, here's how, why you ought to learn from him, because I am, and, and that is like one of the I am phrases in the Bible. Jesus uh, said, I am this, I'm the bread of life, I'm this. Moses asked God, said, who do I say sent me? And, and God said, I am that I am. In other words, I've always existed. And when Jesus uses those I am statements, he's saying, hey, I'm God, I've always existed. So Jesus said, I am, I, I exist. And, and, and as you come to me, you're going to discover some things about me. You're going to discover that I'm gentle, I'm humble, I'm mild. You're going to discover that I'm lowly in heart. And that means depressed or humiliated by circumstances or disposition in your thoughts or your mind. He, he said you'll find, you'll find literally or figuratively rest. You can come to an end, in other words, of all the all the trying, all the burden that you have in your life. You'll find rest for your souls. The word means your very breath, your very spirit inside of you. For, and here's why you can find rest. For, that signs a reason, my yoke, Christ's yoke, that we are joined together with him by is something that is easy. Instead of being heavy and burdensome, it's easy. It's something that's, that's light. Call it a process. Call it discipleship. We come to him by faith, but we need to learn some things. There's a process that Jesus wants to be taking place in our lives to where he's making us more and, and more like him. He wants us to learn from him. And as we learn from him, we'll experience a deeper peace, a deeper rest. The more we know about him, we'll find more rest. You see, the reason is we're under his yoke. Where we're not like some wild animal that's just out going to and fro however it wants to go. And trying to fend for yourself. And instead, we have a loving Savior who wants to guide us and protect us and care for us. And we'll come into all that stuff when we get to Brent's passage in Psalm 23. 
Being yoked to Jesus is where you find rest for your souls. Learning from Him is something that gives you more confidence and more rest in your life. What are some things that we learn by coming to Jesus, by being yoked to Him? Well, we'll learn He's gentle instead of harsh and unloving like the Pharisees. You've probably experienced it in your life. We don't necessarily call people Pharisees today, although sometimes I've been known to use that terminology. But there's still a lot of people that are really legalistic in their rules. And what I find about people that are very legalistic religiously is this. They're some of the most mean-spirited people you'll ever meet in the world. I don't care if they say they go to church. I don't care if they say they're a Christian. If that person is bound up in legalism, they're going to be looking at you, marking rules off upon you, and they're going to be some pretty hateful people to deal with. So instead of dealing with that, we will deal with the gentleness of Christ. That's what we learn. When we come to Christ, we learn humility instead of pride because the Pharisees were filled with pride. The Pharisees were doing all the stuff they did to be seen of people. They wanted people to think, think well of them. And when we come to Jesus, instead of being filled with pride, we, we find humility. When we come to Jesus, we can have the, the rest of, of faith. Instead of being worn out by doing the works of, of a bunch of legalistic rules, When we come to Jesus, we can find out that there's an easier or light burden instead of the weight of the law and legalistic rules that people want to place upon us. When we come to Jesus, we can find that we've got victory in Jesus instead of walking around with the burden of our own defeat and failure in our own lives. When we come to Jesus, we learn to love other people and serve other people. Those are some things we can learn when we come to him and take his yoke upon us. That's Monica's passage. More or less, Jesus just gives us an invitation. But before you take it too far in your own mind and thinking, wow, that means I can do anything I want to do. I want to remind you of something. When Jesus gives this invitation, it's an invitation to take a yoke upon you. He didn't give you an invitation to an easy chair and a soda. A yoke is still an instrument that's used to do work. And yes, Jesus sets us free when we trust in him, but it's not a freedom to live our lives for ourselves. It's a freedom to live our lives for him and a freedom to live our life in a way that impacts the lives of others. So Monica's verse gives us an invitation to rest. And as Brent said a minute ago, the two are meshed together pretty well. They're verses that they've chosen for each other. I'm calling Brent's passage, Psalm 23, a, a psalm of rest. Jesus gives us an invitation to rest, and Psalm 23 tells us a whole lot about rest. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will live or dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
I dare say that might be the most well-known passage of Scripture along with John 3.16 of any passage in the Bible. Many a mother has sat up maybe at night worried over a sick child and read and thought about Psalm 23. Many a person, when they were going through a lot of difficulty in their life, maybe in the sleepless night, had opened and thought about Psalm 23 to try and find some peace and, and rest for their life. Many a funeral has had Psalm 23 read or preached as the text. So it's a very, very well-known passage. There are various ways to approach Psalm 23. One of my favorite ways, and I'm going to kindly do that today as we look at the 23rd Psalm, is to realize that there's a change in the way the psalmist speaks through the psalm. Have you ever noticed that? In verse 1 through 3, David writes about the shepherd, and he he uses the word he as he writes about the Lord. It's as though he's telling somebody else about the shepherd. He's telling somebody else about the Lord. It's like he's giving a testimony because he's referring to him as he. When, when you come to verse number 4 and 5, it changes. He's no longer saying he. Now he's talking directly to the Lord, directly to the shepherd, and he says you. Even though I go through a valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear because you're with me. Because your rod and your staff, they come from me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So he changes from talking about the Lord to talking to the Lord. And then in verse 6, it seems to me that David maybe gets really reflective. And he's thinking about everything that he's just said about the Lord and to the Lord. And he kind of looks within his own heart. And he says, surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And he's talking within himself. We think about the 23rd Psalm. The psalmist David, of course, being a shepherd as a boy and keeping sheep, he understood all this illustration that he's about to use. A lot of people get in their mind the idea of David writing this psalm when he was a little boy out there watching the sheep. Most theologians believe he actually wrote the 23rd Psalm during a period later in his life, maybe even when his own son Absalom was rebelling against him. So it's like David looks back over his life and and he's thinking about these things. He looks back over his life and he says, well, surely goodness and and mercy has followed me. And then he looks forward to his life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to notice four main things about the 23rd Psalm, four main thoughts. The first one is adequacy, adequacy. And he's talking about sheep being out in the pasture. More, more or less, the main thought that he gives us here is that the Lord is adequate for everything that we need, everything that we face. I hope you understand that today. I hope you understand that Jesus Christ is adequate. Jesus is what you need. He's all you need and can supply everything that you need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want him. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He's saying the Lord is that. I hope you can say that. I hope you can say the Lord is, 
is my shepherd. I've said this many times at funerals before. I, I, I will tell people, a group, I hope you can say the Lord is your shepherd, but I'll tell you what thrills me, I can say the Lord is my shepherd. And if you don't know that, I hope you'll strongly consider during this service trusting in Him and allowing Him to be your shepherd. The, the Lord that He refers to, of course, in the Old Testament is Jehovah God. It's kind of an interesting thing to me. As you read through the 23rd Psalm, there are many things that David says in the 23rd Psalm that give us a picture and illustration of the names of God from the Old Testament. He he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's a picture of one of the names of God in the Old Testament. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. He said, he leads me beside the still waters. And that brings up another name for God in the Old Testament. Jehovah Salome, God is my peace. He restores my soul. And, and once again, that phrase brings to mind another name of God in the Old Testament. Jehovah Rophi, he is the Lord who heals. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And that's Jehovah Teskanu, the, the Lord our righteousness. And we'll see more of those as we go through the psalm today. The verb when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, the tense of it in the Hebrew literally means this. It means the Lord is shepherding me. And you see, that's a pretty important difference. David is not just saying some fact that he has in his mind. The Lord is my shepherd. That was a fact. But he was saying more than that. He's saying that Lord who is my shepherd, is in the process of shepherding me. And I'm in the process of following him, is what is implied by that. I'm afraid too many people in this day and time would just rest in the fact, well, the Lord is my shepherd. And that is a restful thought, but the truth of the matter is you need to be resting in the fact that you are allowing the Lord to shepherd you now as you live your life. And you are following the Lord as He shepherds you in in your life and and you follow after Him. In that day and time in the Middle East, the Holy Land, the uh, pastors that could be found there were uh, kind of sporadic. It depended on the rain season and uh, the shepherd would, it's not like our day and time. It wasn't like there, like you own a thousand acres and you put a fence around the thousand acres and you keep all your, your sheep there and there's plenty for them to eat. In that day and time, it wasn't fenced in. The only time the sheep were fenced in were at night when the shepherd would bring the sheep into the fold at the nighttime. The rest of the time during the day, the shepherd was leading the sheep out trying to find something for them to eat, trying to find water for them to drink. And it being kind of an arid region, a, a, a desert region, sometimes it was hard to, to find. And he would know where to take them, where to take them to find the green pastures, where he could take them to find the water to eat. The shepherd would be about daily trying to take the sheep out to provide food for them. He would protect them from wild animals like a lion or a bear or thieves trying to steal them. He would try and help them when they were injured and put ointment on them and, and, and love them and even carry them when he needed to carry them because of their injuries. That, that's a picture of the shepherd in the, in the Middle East. And that's why David uses that here. That's the picture of our Lord. That's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ shepherding us, guiding us, caring for us, loving us, feeding us, providing for us in the pasture of this world. 
as we live our lives in, in this world. It's like he's saying, hey, you need to understand this. The shepherd is adequate for everything that you need. And as I said a moment ago, Jesus is adequate for everything that you need. He, he wrote it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I, I lie down in green pastures. If you've ever studied anything about sheep, sheep will not lie down until they're satisfied. If the sheep is still hungry, you know what they're doing? They're standing up and they're moving around and they're eating. And it's only when they come to the point of satisfaction that they're willing to lie down in the green pastures. He's, he's letting us know that the, the, the Lord satisfies us. And I hope you understand that today, that Jesus Christ ought to be your satisfaction. You ought to be able to lie down and, and rest in, in him. He said, he leads me beside the still waters. The phrase that he used for leads me in the Hebrew means to lead gently. Because the truth of the matter is you can't drive sheep. If one person were to try and drive sheep with a loud, harsh voice, the sheep are scared and the sheep misunderstand it and the sheep will scatter. Instead, the sheep know that shepherd loves them and the sheep hear his voice, Jesus said in John chapter 10. And then the sheep follow. And that's the picture of our, of our Savior. He doesn't want to, to, to force us, to drive us. He, he wants us to hear his voice and, and follow him. So it leads me beside the still waters. It would be very dangerous for a sheep to drink from raging water. Sheep are not very good swimmers. <laughs> and for a shepherd to take a sheep to a rushing mighty stream would be a very dangerous situation. So the shepherd would look for still water, or sometimes he would dam up uh, the, the water if it was rushing by and cause it to come out into the land a little bit. And he would lead the sheep over there to where they could could drink in, in safety. The Bible tells us Jesus is himself is our living water. We can drink from him and never be thirsty. He's the one that gives us that degree of satisfaction. David writes and he says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. The phrase for past, the word for past in the Hebrew means a, a well-worn rut. We fail to realize that God has a purpose for our lives. God, God has a plan for our lives. God has his will that's communicating his word. There's a well-worn rut that he has for us to follow. Our problem is we keep being like straying sheep and we get off on the side paths. When he has a very well-established path for us to follow. But something I really want you to notice here is the order of things. Look at the order of how David writes this. He restores my soul. Then, he says, he leads me in the path of righteousness. See, we screw that up a lot. People will get in their mind that, well, if I'm going to be right with God, I need to get on the path of righteousness, and I need to live my life the way God wants me to, and then after I live my life good enough, God will restore my soul. Can I tell you something? That does not work. <laughs> Because we don't have the capacity. We keep straying. The correct order of it is this. You come to Christ by faith. He restores your soul. And then after he's restored your soul, he leads you in the path of righteousness. 
That's why we need to get the order right. And then we live our lives not for our own sake. He said he leads, he leads us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He's our shepherd. We're his sheep. And the motive of our lives is to follow him, not to follow our own selves and our own desires. First word I want you to get is simply that word of, of adequate. Jesus alone store, restores our souls. Second word I want you to get is serenity, serenity. Sheep were also taken out in places like valleys. Sometimes it could be dark, dangerous-looking valleys. And David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Another one of the names for God comes to mind there from the Old Testament, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. See, the idea that David has given is this. No matter what dark valley you find yourself in, whether it be facing death or a loved one has died or some other circumstance, there are a lot of dark valleys in in this life. The, The phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, literally could be translated the veil of deep darkness. We we can go through a lot of depressions in our life, a lot of darkness in our lives, a lot of danger in our lives, not just death. There are all kinds of situations and circumstances that can be like dark valleys for us. And what you need to know and what I need to know when I'm in a dark valley is that he's there. There's never a valley that's so dark or a circumstance that's so tragic that my Savior is not there. He's always there. He's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord that is there. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing in life. They tell us that sheep don't have very good vision, not like some other animals. And especially sheep don't have as good a vision at night as most animals have. So they could be easily frightened by some kind of circumstance, especially in the dark. And what gave them peace was the presence of the shepherd being there. The, the rod that David writes about was like a, like a heavy club. And the shepherd could use that to protect the sheep, to bash in the head of a, of a wolf or a bear or a thief. <laughs> and the Staff that he talks about is a shepherd's crook, and that shepherd's crook is used to guide the sheep, to inspect the sheep, to count the sheep, to even maybe pull the sheep away from danger. And we have our Savior who is there to protect us and who is there to guide us and care for us. The Bible tells us that another name for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Jesus is always with those who trust in him. No matter how dangerous it might be, no matter how dark the valley might be, he is always there with you. Even if it's the death of a loved one. In order to have a shadow, what do you have to have? You ever seen a shadow in total darkness? In order to have a shadow, you have to have light present to cast a shadow. The Bible tells us Jesus is the light of the world. The only thing that I think happens, that the Bible, I believe, teaches this, happens for a Christian, for a child of God when they face death, 
is that they go through a valley that has a shadow of death. Can I tell you something? The shadow of death can't hurt you. The shadow of cancer can't hurt you. The shadow of a gun cannot shoot you. The shadow of an automobile cannot run over you and crush your bones. The shadow of a knife cannot cut you. It's just a shadow. Just a shadow of death. He says, yea, though I walk through. He's saying there's no ceasing of activity. For a child of God, when that child of God dies, they do not get into a dark valley and somehow stop there. Jesus is there, the light of the world, to usher you and see you through. There's no ceasing of activity. And he ushers you directly into the presence of the God who loves you and created you and made a way for you to be with him by sending his son to die on the cross. third word I want you to get is this, certainty, certainty. David's using sheep and shepherds for an illustration, and as we think about certainty, we're going to talk about being in the fold. The fold was that place I mentioned earlier that the shepherd would take the sheep at, at night. Most of the time in the Middle East, it was a high rock wall with an opening for an entranceway or a door. David writes these words, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Once again, from those words, we get some images or pictures of names of God in the Old Testament. You have Jehovah Nissi, which means God is our banner. He's our defender. He's the one going out before us, even in the presence of our enemies. He anoints my head with oil. Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies, the Lord who sets me apart to him, the Lord that, that cares for me and, and, and loves me. At the end of each day, after the shepherd had been out guiding the sheep to find food to eat and water to drink and safety where they could rest underneath his eye, because darkness was coming in and there would be dangers in the darkness, like the wild animals, like thieves. The shepherd would try and take the sheep into a fold, which would be the, the safe place for them, that rock wall I talked about a moment ago. And as the sheep would come in, he would take the staff and he would stop each one and he would count them to be sure he had not lost any and that they were all in the fold. And he would also inspect them as they were coming through, seeing if there were any injuries, if you needed to use ointment or, or medicine to apply to their wounds. And he would count them and care for them. Once they were inside the sheepfold, the shepherd would spend the night sleeping in that opening that was the door of the gate. The, safe, the sheep were safe on the other side because they knew their shepherd was there at the opening. If you were to get through to the sheep, if a thief or a wild animal were to get through to the sheep that night, guess what they had to do? They had to come across the shepherd. Hey, for anything, if you're a Christian, for anything to get to you, for anyone to get to you, they have to come through the shepherd first. <laughs> they have to cross him first. You're in the fold. You are there by faith in Christ protected, and our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, watches over you and guards you and protects you. My cup overflows alludes to the shepherd's cup. He'd carry a large cup that he would fill up to the point of just spilling it as he would go and try and give water to each of the sheep. Because of our faith in our Savior who so cares for us, we ought to have an overflowing cup. 
The shepherd would anoint the head of the, the sheep and around their eyes with an ointment that would try that would keep the insects away from them and keep them away from the frustration of the insects bothering them throughout the night as they were there in the sheepfold. He would stop and he would take that ointment and put it on the, the ram's horns or on around the eyes of the sheep. And that's what's being referred to when he says, you anoint my head with oil. In other words, those sheep in the fold had great certainty because of the shepherd. They could rest at night because they knew the shepherd was there. I can give you a personal testimony. I have bad days like you do and everyone else does. But every night when I go home and I lay down my head to go to sleep, I can go to sleep with perfect peace because I know a shepherd. And I know if I die in my sleep, I know where I'll be. Because I have a shepherd. And as I face circumstances in life, if, if there are things that he allows to get to my life, it's for my betterment, it's to make me better, it's not to make me bitter, because it had to go through the shepherd first before it got to me. There's certainty in the great shepherd. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. What I just talked about a moment ago. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He also said this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You know what Jesus just said? Once you belong to Him, you always belong to Him and no one, not including your own self by your own actions, can ever remove yourself from the Father's grip. There's certainty being in the fold of the great shepherd. Last word is eternity. Eternity. Verse 6, that verse I told you, it seems like to me David's just being reflective and thinking within himself. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus used that same vocabulary talking about heaven. In John chapter 14, he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. David's thinking in his own heart, in his own life, because of the great shepherd, he realizes there's goodness and mercy. Now, David's saying that's not health and wealth, by the way. Let me back up on that before anyone says, oh, so that means if I know Jesus, I never face any difficulties. No, the David that wrote this, King David that wrote this had plenty of difficulties in his own life, plenty of failures in his own life, a lot of sin in his own life, a lot of disruption in his own life, even his own son wanting to kill him and take away the kingdom. What I am telling you is this, if you know that the Lord is your shepherd, even though you face those circumstances like David faced or others, you can still say there's goodness and mercy because you know the shepherd. It's not because you know the circumstances 
It's because you know the shepherd. That's how you can know that you have goodness and mercy to follow you during your days. And then he looks ahead and he says, I'm going to live in the Father's house forever. Things perplex us a lot of time in life, don't they? Do you ever have things hit you and you, you, you kind of, I mean, you're scratching your head and going through a lot of emotional pain and you're saying, why in the world? Why did this happen? I think one day in the Father's house, when we look back on it all, all we will see is goodness and mercy. The Bible tells us one day he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. Under the old covenant, what would happen is this. Do you remember what they use sheep for? What do they use sheep for? Sacrifices. Food. Under the old covenant, the shepherd is leading the sheep, but eventually those sheep are going to be killed. Under the new covenant, do you know what happens? The shepherd dies for the sheep. The shepherd dies for us. And through faith in him, we have everlasting life. The Bible says, Revelation chapter 7, for the Lamb who's in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. Even when when we're there in heaven, He will shepherd us. Lead them to the living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I think there's coming a day, no matter how painful your experiences you had on the earth might have been, when you're in heaven because of faith in Jesus, he's going to eradicate every memory of all that pain, and all you'll see is goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy. And we get to dwell in the Father's house forever. Did you know the word forever at the very end of Psalm 23 literally means all the day long or the length of days? Didn't know that. I read it for years. I had a grandmother who would read the Bible to me like Brent was talking about his grandmother and grandfather, and she would read the Bible uh, to me. She's the only one that did when I was growing up, and she'd read it to me, and I remember her reading Psalm 23 and thinking about Psalm 23 as I was growing up and everything, and I, I like the word forever, but then after I'm called to preach, I start thinking, well, I, I need to do word studies and things. I need to really dig into this deeper and, you know, be sure I understand what it all means. I was doing a word study one day on Psalm 23, and I found out the word forever literally means all the day long, and I thought to myself, I don't like that. Because I like the word forever. But then it occurred to me, That the Bible tells us this in Revelation. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb, Jesus. By its light the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. Notice this. And there will be no what? Night there. 
I thought, hey, it's okay that it means all the day long in Psalm 23. Because when I get to the Father's house, there's never any night. There's just one long eternal day. Revelation 22, 5, and night will be no more. And they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. One long eternal day. Monica's passage of scripture dealt with coming to Christ, answering his invitation and him giving you rest. Can I ask you if you've done that? Have you come to Jesus by faith? Or are you still trying to do the Pharisee thing? You're trying to do, 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 do. And you think that'll get you in the right relationship with God when all that does is just wear you out. And you never accomplish it and you always feel guilty. See, Jesus gives you an invitation to come and he says, I will give it to you, give it to you, give it to you, give you rest. So if you come to him, are you taking his yoke upon you? Are you allowing him to guide you and finding more rest as you allow him to guide you? Are you learning from him? Do you know for sure that the Lord's your shepherd? Have you discovered that Jesus Christ is adequate? He's all that you need. Have you discovered the serenity of following the shepherd who cares for you and who loves you? The certainty of being in his fold. Do you know where you'll be in eternity? Do you know you'll be in the Father's house for eternity? If not, I hope you'll pray right now as I pray. And I hope you'll say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I can't do it. I can't save myself. Father, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And I'm going to trust in him and nothing else for my salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us rest. Thank you that you invite us to come to you and receive rest as a gift. Lord, help us that we might more and more take your yoke upon us and allow you to direct our lives and that we might find more rest. Help us to learn from you and learn that you're your yoke is easy and, and light. Father, if there's anyone here that's never come by faith to Jesus, I pray right now that you speak to them, that you draw them to yourself. If there's anyone here that cannot say, the Lord is my shepherd, Father, give them the faith they need right now to say yes to Jesus, to believe that Jesus did everything necessary on the cross that we might be forgiven when we place our faith in Him, in His sacrifice, in His resurrection. Father, for those that know Him, but maybe they're not allowing Him to shepherd them as they should. Lord, speak to the hearts of believers and cause them to evaluate right now if they are allowing you to shepherd them. We thank you that Jesus is adequate. We thank you for the serenity that comes in knowing him, the certainty of being in his fold. 
We thank you for a promise of eternity. Speak to us now during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as John does this song. If you've never come to Christ for rest, why not do so today? If you don't know the Lord is your shepherd, why not leave here today knowing that he is because you've trusted in him? And we invite you to come during this time. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.